Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, hello everybody. Good morning and welcome back to the program. At this hour, if you are looking for the most amount of space for the least amount of money and are willing to tolerate some potential downsides in exchange for the ability to turn around without bumping your elbows, we will give you a few places to look at and a few tips. Also at this hour, reset and recapture your health in 2018. Our guest is stuck in traffic and hopefully he will make it, but how? One man went from dying to thriving, the truth behind his Crohn's disease and how he took his life back. But first, I would like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. We are a real estate show, but occasionally we branch out and bring in important lifestyle stories and messages. This is a message today of courage and hope and I was moved by it and I'd like to share it with you and our very special guest once he can, once he arrives uh, and he is here. He will be here in the studio today. In the meantime, our mm-hmm. panel is here. Uh, Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Louise Phillips Forbes, Halstead Real Estate, Sean McPeak is on his way also. What a crazy day in New York City from Compass. And Ari Herkoff from Halstead Real Estate. Ari uh, is joining us for the first time today, has developed a strong and envious reputation in the real estate industry as a result of his hard work and dedication at Halstead Property. Ari became one of the fastest rising agents ever seen at the company after his first year in the business in 2008 the real estate board of new york presented him with one of the most prestigious awards in the industry the coveted rookie of the year award in addition crane's new york business named ari one of the top five residential brokers to watch under the age of 30 in new york city in 2011 he is now an expert contributor for the daily news with his own regular column on market trends and insights that's pretty fascinating we'll ask him about that a regular member of the well-respected producers council top five percent of the firm sapphire club and gold and silver circles at halstead property he offers his clients a rare degree of negotiation skills market knowledge customer service and sophisticated pricing and valuation uh, valuation expertise sophisticated prices that's an interesting one right <laughs> yes it is thank you superstar <laughs> welcome thank you for being here today thanks for having me I'm glad to be here so how's everybody today Good. Awesome. Great. Great. Thank awesome. you. The weather's finally cooperating. Yes. Yeah. In I mean, one way. I love well, the, the countdown for surfing. It's warm. warm. Yeah. The temperature. This is, you know, the temperature. Let's just to be rain. clear, I'm on the countdown for surfing. <laughs> well, yeah. Next week. Uh, well, sure. But I, I mean, the weather's cooperating, really. Yeah. What, it's like 50s? You can't yeah. complain about that. What, what, right? do, what do we do about... Uh, Actually, I can. What do we do about <laughs> photo... What are you guys doing about photo shoots in uh, inclement weather? Like this Lock week, anyone have listings? Absolutely. MichaelWeinstein.com. Yeah, I mean, right, exactly. I, I've, I've talked yeah. to these photo professionals and they say, look, the light usually is fine. They can do a lot with these digital cameras now. If just because it's a little blurry outside, you take that, you take those shots, you know, yeah, it should be yeah, fine. Yeah, it should yeah. be fine. And, and I would just say for outdoor spaces, you know, we have rescheduled that, mm-hmm. but we launch on time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. right. I think, you know, even with showing with showing sometimes, you know, it's a cloudy day or a rainy day. And I always say to people, if the light <clears> is there anyway, because it's it's a good exposure, sure. if you like it or like what you see in a cloudy day or, you know, whatever, it's probably only going to get a thousand percent better when it's sunny out. So sometimes it works to your advantage. And when they come back to see it a second time and it is sunny, it really kind of works. One, one thing on that, Vince, just because sure. we were talking about, is that sometimes when it's too sunny out, it's actually a bad thing. There are a lot of right. photo professionals, photographers that'll say... It washes this, this, out. It washes out. The sun's mm-hmm. coming in. Right. You don't always want 
southern exposure when the sun's shining in the apartment to take photos. It doesn't always work. It it doesn't always work. All right, so let's get right to it. So if you are looking for the most amount of space for the least amount of money, and we all have clients who want everything, and of course, you know, it's always a a gamble in this town, and are willing to tolerate some potential downsides in exchange for the ability to turn around without bumping your elbows here – um, are a few places to look. So, for example, the the research I was looking at says a first floor apartment is a good start. Any comments on that? You want more space? You don't want to pay a lot of money? Uh, and they say so. Maybe a first floor apartment is 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 uh, cheaper than say something on fifteen or sixteen. Sure, but I think that what we have to remember is that it's a matter of educating the individual to understanding what they will compromise on. And I always try to start with these. I you know they have a list, and we put together a list of thirteen, eighteen, twenty-two things that are in their wish list. You start to understand the time value of money, but when you invest time looking. And so I always say buy buy light before you buy views because the cost differential is tremendous. And for first floor apartments, your biggest trade-off is light. So you have to figure out through looking at enough places to understand how to prioritize. I found I just sold something on 75th Street between West End and Riverside. Uh, excuse me, West End and Broadway, that were two apartments on the first floor, that that's the right school district for those people. And they looked at the idea of having free education till, you know, fifth grade at PS 87. Um, I went to PS 87. <laughs> so those things are, are, yeah. are how you have to really, as educators, we have to identify those those things that are priorities for individuals. And they may not even know what's important to them. Yeah. Well, oftentimes they don't. The second point is they say, buy a post-war apartment versus a glass condo tower or a pre-war apartment. Post-war. Why? More space. Great value. Sure. Great Lower value. ceilings. Yeah. Yep. Lower ceilings, mm-hmm. correct. That's more, more closets, though, mm-hmm. right? Lots of closets. I was in a pre-war, uh, a post-war last week. I have to tell you something. A white brick building on the Upper East Side, right off of Madison Avenue, I was literally blown away. Blown away. The amount of... Um, value opportunity. The the value is, is absolutely unbelievable. The amount of closets was unbelievable. The, both of these apartments are renovated. Mm-hmm. But there is value for uh, your dollar in those kinds of purchases. You also find that um, often you're going to find in these post-war buildings that the ability to combine them is uh, more successful. And I also find that the maintenances are amortized because they're a certain size. So you have full services with a lot of amenities and you're trading off on, you know, What's going on from the outside going in? But the spaces are, are spectacular. Can I add one other point? Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, so we go through this a lot with our clients. I mean, you're trading off some things with your lifestyle, but we also advise our clients really to think about resale. So one of the issues we're into with these apartments, first floor, higher maintenance, what have you, is resale. So you have to understand that you're willing to make these trade-offs, but look at what the market is willing to accept and understand that down the road, when you go to sell that first floor apartment because it's in a great school district, but it may not have a great view, it may be more difficult for you to sell and you may not experience an upside that matches the market. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. you have to balance those things out. Right. Totally. Okay, so the, the, the next, an apartment with a slightly higher maintenance. What, what, why would you want to pay more maintenance and, and feel like you're getting a better value? So I think that, 
I think that when you're when you're um, looking at this process, and that's how I, I have a listing right now, which is a spectacular combination in a small boutique pre-war building that has a seventy-three hundred dollar maintenance. That's my point. However, it's a ten-room apartment. Okay. And when I look at the average of a ten-room apartment, what those maintenances are, it's actually, and you can monetize this. It's going to be about two thousand dollars more expensive. So I can look at what it costs to carry a mortgage for $2,000 and look at that relationship. And so for an individual that is high on income, but not great on savings, it's a, it becomes an opportunity to mm-hmm. consider. And in many co-ops, you can deduct a sizable chunk of that as well, obviously subject to today's tax reform. And that's important as well to keep in mind. Absolutely. The next one is an apartment with location issues. So in other words, you're not buying on Park Avenue or Madison Avenue. You might be buying on Columbus Avenue or, or wherever, mm-hmm. but you're probably going to find more space, less money, and more value. Is that true? I mean, I've seen that in my in my business, you know, multiple times. Sure. I mean, it's block by block, but it's also neighborhood by neighborhood. I mean, so our team, we do a lot of business in Brooklyn, and people are going deeper and deeper into Brooklyn to find value. Right. How, uh, Ari, let me ask you this. Which is, by the way, how you give birth to thriving new neighborhoods. Sure. I was just going to ask you, so, I mean, what, we talk about it with Noah all the time, but what neighborhoods are left in Brooklyn to thrive? I mean, everything (laughs) pretty much seems to be gentrified, developed, or on its way. What else is left? Brownsville. Well, yeah. I mean, I know that, like, no, I know that your team is doing a lot. I'm I'm very bullish on Prospect Lefferts Gardens. So Prospect Lefferts Gardens has a really beautiful landmark single family zone section it's on the park it is on an express subway the housing stock is stunning and it's at about 50 cents on the dollar compared to park slope which is on the other side of the park so yeah, i think that's a very amazing. interesting area i would agree with that but it's single family zoned only no condos no co-ops mm-hmm. yeah and, and so no 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 future developments there no not within the historic district right there are future developments on the outskirts i know you guys are doing some but within the core of the neighborhood there are not yeah, I mean, you can you can see like on Flatbush Avenue in Project yeah. Leverage Gardens, um, you can see that the same sort of action you might have had on Franklin Avenue in Crown Heights like ten years ago. Right. You know, it's 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 that sort of thing. Um, same thing with Nostrand Avenue as well. They they both have huge amounts of promise. Mm-hmm. All right, the next point, number five in this, looking for, searching for value in an apartment, non-doorman building or a walk-up. Of course, most people who come into New York City especially first-time purchasers, all want a doorman. Their parents said you have to have a doorman. They just think it's it's glitz and glamour, more secure. But you can find better value in a non-doorman or walk-up building. True or false? True, true. And I would say from uh, what I have seen for being in this in the business almost three decades, um, I have we have watched the the boards of these co-ops in the non-doorman cultivate and incentivize their supers to their resident managers to receive packages or they have, I think the greatest idea is to have FedEx, UPS, and the U.S. Postal to have keys. They put packages inside the building. Mm -hmm. So if you're boutique enough, that service is a lot of, answers a lot of things for individuals. More so, not such a safety issue as it is a logistic issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, like you take neighborhoods like Tribeca. I mean, you know, they were founded on basically buildings, you know, loft type buildings where there wasn't any kind of security or door door staff, door people. Uh, And some people seek that out. Some people want that. Technology's got some resolution on that with the ability to... On your phone, know when somebody's outside your door, you can let them in. They have locked, coded closets that they can put the packages in. I mean, there are solutions. Yeah. And again, you know, 
in this pursuit of trying to find the most value for your money or or size for your money. I don't know if I agree with this one, though. It says apartments on which banks are reluctant to lend. So in other words, you find a building, a bank is not so comfortable with lending. Why would you want to buy in that building? Well, I think it's case by case, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> but no, but 455 uh, Central Park West, uh, defaulted sponsor in 2008. Mm. My friend was the board president there, still is the board president there. They were selling uh, on 106th and Central Park West, full services, amazing um, uh opportunities and he had not paid his taxes had not paid his contributions for probably about five years and they did a settlement which i was fortunate to have privy uh, of this information based on my relationship with him because i consulted the board on how to manage this and when that got settled the building when you were looking at the relationship of twelve hundred dollars a foot on 110th Street, you could get there for $900 a foot, and it was an established building. So I think it's really delving into understanding the subtleties of where exactly the building is. All right, and the last two points are a fixer-upper and challenging layouts, uh, but we're out of time on that one. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will continue on the other side of the break. Stay with us, please. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Ari Harkov from uh, Halstead Real Real Estate. My throat is leaving me today. Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International. 
Phil Horrigan, leasebreak.com, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead Real Estate, and Sean McPeak is here from Compass. Okay, so moving right along, Bernard Klein, who writes a New York City real estate blog, says the following about why condos are more expensive than co-ops. When you start a search in a specific neighborhood, you begin noticing some pretty wild price swings between similarly sized apartments. While there are numerous factors that can obviously influence this, one of the primary drivers behind apartment pricing resolves around building type. On a price per square foot basis, condos are generally more expensive than co-ops. But why? What are some of the factors? On the surface, you might be confused why this is the case, but it is just like everything else related to the world of real estate in New York City, the fact that condos trade at a significantly premium or higher price than co-ops is a fact. Mm -hmm. So why? How do you explain this to the novice buyer that you start working with in your books of business, then they say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I would, I would like a condo, but they're more expensive. So maybe I can do a co-op, but maybe I'm not qualified for a co-op. And by the way, why are condos so much more expensive? I get this question all the time. I mean, the first thing is it's a supply and demand issue. Right. Most of the inventory out there is co-op. I think it's like say 75% co-op, roughly 25% condo, although that's, that's shifting a little bit, I think. Um, Also, it has shifted, but I I don't know the exact number. Yeah. 80-20? Well, there's also, yeah, there's, there's no new co-ops really being developed. So over time, that should there's, shift. There's there's couple, very, but, but I mean, very few. Usually land leases. Yeah, but it's, it's very few. It's, it, it wouldn't affect the numbers. I mean, if anything, no. they're going in the direction of yeah. having a higher and higher percentage of condos of the total. <clears throat> but also... If you're a foreigner, you really have a hard time buying into a co-op building, so the requirements are a lot easier. It's a lot easier to buy in a condo. Also, if you want to sublet the apartment, it's a lot easier to sublet in a condo. It's very difficult to do, or you can do it depending on the co-op in a co-op. So there's just there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, but it seems to me like, and I'm playing devil's advocate, it seems to me like we are being penalized for wanting to buy a condo versus a co-op. And some people say that to me, like, well, why should I pay more? I get the subleasing policy. I get, you know, the, the inventory concerns and all, but I understand all the new bills out there. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I the, still I feel the, like I'm being penalized for paying. It's a more liquid asset. I think it's a more liquid asset. I think um, also, you know, if you look at the whole housing market, it's only 38% of New York real estate is something that's available to be bought. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's about 75, 25%. But I also think, I mean, I think there's a trend that we should be watching because there are a lot of co-ops today that I'm consulting that would like to investigate the possibility of buying down their mortgage and becoming a condominium. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've done it with one building in the 1990s, and I expect that there are at least three that I know of that are considering it and under investigating it. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things I was going to say about that, it's a more liquid asset, and when something is more liquid and makes more sense, the value just rises. And so when when the argument of, you know, um, it's, it's sort of obligatory to go, you know, condo is kind of hurting my wallet, well, it's hurting... It, it may seem like it's hurting your wallet because the asset's more valuable. And it's just like buying and, Apple stock right. as opposed to buying exactly, like a blue chip. select whatever. Exactly. Explain what you mean by uh, a li- little more liquid or, or a lot more liquid as of an asset than, than a co-op. I want to add, I mean, so I think also, so point to liquidity. So the, the nature of who's buying in New York City and the preferences continue to evolve. And as we have more younger buyers, as we have more money coming in through tech, as we have more international buyers, these folks want condos. They want something they can renovate when they run a renovate. 
They want something they can rent when they want to rent it. They want something they can sell to anyone who's financially qualified to buy the apartment. And so more and more of our buyers, even if they can afford to pass a co-op board, don't want to go through the process of applying to a co-op board and having the board tell them, sorry, you can't add that half bath or you can't have a washer dryer in your two and a half million dollar apartment, which we have all the time, even though the building plumbing will support it because we don't like the idea and, and we're not willing to you know, open ourselves up to change. So it's more liquid because you can sell it more easily. You can rent it more easily. And it's an asset that can you know, interface within the market. But just to have a plug on the co-op you know, market and community, I think it's our job of, of being knowledgeable and having the insight of why this is a good choice of a co-op and why you might want to stay away from something. I've, I'm consulting four boards right now on policies. Like, sure. why are you not allowing whatever dry? Why are you not allowing combinations? Why are you not allowing washer and dryers? I mean, I spent, you know, eight years getting landmarks and my building to believe and allow us to do through the wall air conditioning. And now we have a master plan and every we have 13 permits for people to put in, put this in, which will raise the value of their apartments. Which goes to the point that all co-ops are not the same and all condos are not the same either. Agreed. Um, I want to bring up one other point, too. You know, some people say to me that there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of, you know, people in and out in condominiums versus co-ops because, as we said before, co-ops are a little more strict and a little more, you know, regulated. And it's not so easy to just be coming and going and pied a tears on a lot of most places. Condos, it's sort of like anything goes. Mm-hmm. So does that affect the mindset of the buyer who says, I still want to buy, I still want to buy a condo? It's condo for me or nothing else? And the second thing is, too, you know, I've noticed over the over the couple of, last couple of years, and, and Louise and I have talked about this on the show here, the value of co- co-ops has increased significantly. And we've seen in a couple of cases where they've gotten some very big prices, you know, in some of the, the better co-op buildings in town where before that wasn't even doable, mm-hmm. right? So the value seems to be increasing a little bit better in, co- in co-ops. But that age-old question of, you know, too much flexibility with condominium could be a deterrent. Correct or not? I mean, for sure. Well, I mean, nobody wants to have their neighbor, you know, coming and going and and having no community. Like as, an Airbnb. Is I mean, they're as, they're yeah. kind of built to discourage turnover. They don't want new neighbors all the time, and they don't want people buying <clears throat> and selling for you know quick profits. So institute other fees and to discourage you from selling quickly. Uh, so I think uh, it's it's policy on top of you know being an illiquid asset and also. Um, discouraging any type of income being made off it, like uh, co-op. Most co-ops will only let you rent if it's a necessity, um, not if you just feel like making money off your co-op you bought two years ago. Right, and usually you've got to live in the co-op at least two years. In some cases, most cases, before they will even entertain an application for a, a sublease you know, under hardship conditions or whatever they want to declare. Right, they might say you can you can sublet after one year, but they don't really mean it. They're going to shoot <clears> down your application. Once also, it doesn't that doesn't that also depress rental prices in the buildings because it's just harder for people to rent? It's yeah, there's more liquid. fees and oh, there's absolutely. and there's a gauntlet to run in order to get approved. Right. But for sure, condos too. But as right, so as an investor standpoint, you want rents to be higher. You want everything to be higher. You want it to right. be more liquid if from a resale standpoint. Right. Co-ops aren't an investment. That's what I kind of right. let people exactly. know. It's like, this is a home. This, this isn't just right. like a short buy to live. Investment. I mean, exactly. everything's an investment. When I, was you're say, I don't know if yeah. I agree with that. I comment. know, but you can't you can't go into it thinking it's going to be a short-term gain. Yeah, right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. agreed. Right. But a condo either, I wouldn't go into it thinking it's going to be a short-term gain. You know, I think it that's isn't an in-and-out stock like buying a portfolio on the NASDAQ. I mean, it is... 
you know, there is the opportunity that that's the whole point of people purchasing in new development projects under pre-construction. The idea is that it's a risky moment in time that you Mm -hmm. capture a discount and the time value of money when the building is built is worth more money. One thing we didn't mention is that don't forget that legally a co-op is different than a condo. I mean, a co-op is a share in a corporation Mm -hmm. and a condo is real property. And that is also a reason why a lot of buyers don't want to buy in a co-op. They just, I mean, I've had some buyers that say, I don't want a share in a corporation. I want real property. And that's just something else that we haven't really discussed, but it's just sort of beneath the surface. And that goes to Ari's point before, which is that, you know, if you want to change, you know, if you want to change a half bath or you want to add a kitchen island or whatever, you own shares in a, in a building, not necessarily owning in the entity of the apartment. I'll play yeah. devil's advocate. I'll add two yeah. other things in favor of co-op. So yeah. one is if you look at most of the prime, prime, prime locations in New York City, they're 80, 90 plus percent co-op yeah, around the park, yeah. West Village, Greenwich Village, and you're the park and park slope, Brooklyn Heights, et cetera. Super prime, beautiful tree-lined streets, like ultra, ultra prime locations are very heavily co-op. Mm-hmm. Number one. Number two, when you buy a co-op, to your point about shares in the corporation, many buyers don't understand that their closing costs are significantly lower when they buy a co-op versus a condo, particularly if they're taking out a mortgage yeah. because the mortgage is not seen legally as a mortgage in the state of New York. It's a lien against shares and it's there for a personal loan right. and you don't pay mortgage recording tax, right. which is not an insignificant amount of money. So, yeah. you know, these are factors That's to keep in debate, mind. by the way. That may change. That, that, they, um, but right now, that is it. where it is. But a buyer's closing cost is unbelievably low in a co-op. It's surprising. It's shockingly, low. Low. it's shockingly low. Yeah, you yeah. buy a co-op under a million bucks and you're paying $5,000 to close. Which no which one would, is, un- yeah. It's, which it's, is a lot of money. Right. I mean, it's a big difference. So it's we're crazy for paying the closing costs we do in this state. It's wild compared, yeah, if you ever do any other cost analysis on another property um, in another state. I mean, it's it's like free compared to where we buy. <laughs> well, in new condo developments, I mean, the the, the added city and on state transfer, city and state transfer taxes to the buyer, to working capital, yeah, absolutely push up to six percent. And in some cases, you know, you've got to contribute to the resident manager's apartment in some of these larger buildings. <laughs> so you know, all of that can be six percent, and I've seen it getting pushed to seven percent in some cases. Go ahead. I'm really intrigued by this whole idea of you know how the Department of State works and how they regulate things like that because man new new development condos they take a while for things to happen for you know for every all the papers to be filed with the state does it really need to be that slow i think they're pretty overwhelmed what is well well, then why can't they switch up their you know their game you want to pay more taxes for that? But I also think that, yeah. that you have to realize that the purpose is to protect the consumer. Right. And that is their sole prior, prior their sole purpose is to implement guidelines and make sure that the consumer is protected. Well, I think a lot of consumers I deal with are just are just, you know frustrated. Frustrated with, you know, waiting five months sometimes to be able to close. Yes. Well, it depends on five months. That's all. Yeah, I was going to say six. I've been involved where it's been eighteen months or more. I mean, it depends on where in the cell cycle you are with these new buildings, and you know if it's if it's a ground up situation and there's still a hole in the ground. Um, I always say tack on a year to whatever they say the finish date is. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's talk about price per square foot. Everyone in this town buying an apartment is fixated on this calculation. I, know, I don't think we can ever do a showing. I don't think we can ever <coughs> do anything easy in, in a showing without having to address the price per square foot and why. So how do you spot a good uh, a good deal when everybody is fixated on, on price per square foot? What do you tell your buyers out there who come to visit you in your open houses? It's X dollar per, per foot, 
and it's still a good value, or it's Y dollars per foot, and it's still a good value. What is the determining factor here? Everything's relevant Everything to that relevant. market. Exactly. It's that sub-market. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, people in New York City always call us to say, you know, Ari, what's going on in the market? How's the market right now? The market mm-hmm. isn't the market. The market is made up of hundred different sub-markets based on different mm. buildings, different neighborhoods, different blocks, co-op, condo, townhouse, new development, resale. So the answer is it depends on that sub-market. And I think one of the things we all hopefully do as very good brokers is analyze every property within that sub-market for any prospective buyer or seller. Absolutely. Um, sure. And uh, Vince, I know Vince always talks about price per square foot because you're not a big fan of price per square foot in, for co-ops, right? I'm not. No, right. I can't but, stand but it. Not yeah. for co-ops and certainly for condos right. also. I always, take, I always take the opposite view point because I'm a huge believer in price per square foot and here's why it's because when a buyer walks in if I'm representing a buyer and they walk into an apartment it's sometimes hard to know what the square footage is it's just, it's just a way to help make apple to apple comparisons it doesn't mean it's the be all and the end all it doesn't mean that it, oh if this is a little less on a price per square foot you don't buy it or you do buy it but it does really help I have I have done really well adding so much value to sellers and buyers by taking a floor plan and applying the exact same analysis to every floor plan that I use and I come up with a square footage because I don't believe the co-op square footage is right because they're not officially listed <laughs> anywhere. So by doing this, you really have everything on an apples to apples and it's added so much value. I mean, All right, hold however, on. We, we, we got to take a break, but I okay. want to complete that thought. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. We have to take a break right now. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. I just want to know. All right, everybody, we are back. We left selling to commercial on price per square foot. So I want to complete the thought there. To Phil's point, I'm not a big advocate of price per square foot because I think that people get too hung up on numbers. I think people can't visualize a space and recognize the fact that the space can work for you. What really is the difference between 650 feet or 700 feet? The reason I say that is because... Somebody may come with the expectation that an apartment is 700 feet. I'm just using uh, numbers. 
in reality, it's 650, and I tell this to somebody, and they literally will run out of the building because they think that's just too small. Well, why is it too small? It's, because I, it's a I, number. Think, I think a one, one major factor that I explain to people is the way that developers measure it. There's no there's no set metric to do this. So your 650 may actually be better than this guy's 750 because of the layout of the apartment, the way it was measured. Is it measured from the windows to the studs to the sheetrock, whatever? There's no well, we mean, don't we don't have to follow a set guideline to come up with these measurements part of part of dos and the attorney general is that they mandate in the special risk section to define how you're measuring your square footage mm-hmm. so it's often for my buildings and i've converted 30 buildings that it it is from the inside of the outside wall so when i'm so and when I do floor plans, when I resell, I'm measuring from the inside of the wall because my floor plan guy does does it from he doesn't measure it from the outside wall. So I think that understanding that and um, you I use it as a data point. You can cross if you vertically within a building, you can do price per share. Also, mm-hmm. you could figure out the value based on price per share. But in my conversion, my building where I actually live the bigger apartments have a higher allocation of shares. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't actually work, mm-hmm. but they have lower maintenances. Mm-hmm. So there's there are data points that I don't think we should be all in where we make decisions around price per square foot. It becomes one of 27 data points that help us feel informed and, and guide our, our purchasers or our sellers. But mm-hmm. but do you all agree? I, mean, I still have to hammer <laughs> this. But do you all agree, though, that it's just a number? I mean, it's just a number. I, I've told the story many times on the air since I've started the show. I have bought and sold so many apartments in town, it's crazy. But I would walk in and, yeah, price per square foot was the thing back in those days as well. I didn't care. I looked at a space. I said, like, "I love it. I love it. My stuff fits. I can see myself living here. It's it's more it's more uh, usable space than not, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever I would put through my mind. And when I ultimately figured out what the price per square foot was, I said, oh, "Okay." But today, I think people are only concerned about that but, measurement. I'm with you, Vince. Because of the price they're paying and they want to do their math and they want to do their spreadsheet and they want to say, I'm overpaying. But my point is, hold on, you both get your chance. (laughs) But my point is, who determines that you're overpaying? If it's the right apartment for you and all of your stuff fits and you can see yourself living there, who cares? Well, first of all, as an agent, uh, buyers constantly want to know whether they're getting a good deal or not a good deal. And I do look at part of my role. But as I a, think it's based on a lot more than price per square foot. No, I, okay, I totally agree with that. So I think it, you have to take it all into consideration. Mm-hmm. But I do think one of the important aspects is whether this is priced well or not. Now, you could tell the buyer, look, I just want you to know on a price per square foot basis, this is 20% higher than anything else that's sold. I want to make sure you have that information. I think that's very important as a buyer's agent. I do want them to know that. Now, they could say, that's okay, given that because of these other pluses, the view, the space, the whatever it may be. Time I in still, the, where it is in the market. Where it is in the market, whatever, but I still want to go forward with it. But I do think it's a very important piece because otherwise, you, according to your theory, someone could come in and they could dramatically overpay. And then, right? But in, but in fact, you know, there are other guidelines that we can make sure that our buyers don't if, dramatically if, overpay. And one of those is comps in a building or comps in the neighborhood if, what, or like 
type apartment. What so, if it has a 50 foot hallway? What if it's a turret shaped apartment or if it's a triangle? I mean, pre-war, are, most of your square footage is in the closets is, and in the hallways that is, you can't use, right? Is, so are all, is all square footage in, in a building created equal? No, 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 no. no there are there are so, countries in Europe that measure cubic square footage and they look right, at ceilings. I like that. Correct. Yeah, right. I think that's more. Yeah. Important. By the way, the buyer that's not concerned with uh, as much with price per square foot and to Vince's uh, point is looking for a really great place with a really, really great layout. They have the upper leg, right? Because the other buyers are all worried about PPSF, and they're just going to be wandering around looking at a specific part of the inventory. Whereas the buyer that um, mm-hmm. is going around to see everything, they have a leg up because then they're looking they really, for the emotional. They're looking hook. for the good product, the the emotional hook, the place they want to call home. It you know, and a lot of times we we as agents we try to educate our buyers. I'm sure I'm not the only one here that you're not an investor. An investor looks at ten properties and tries to find the right numbers, but a, an end user, a buyer, is looking for a place to call home. And so you want to approach your purchase process with that in mind, because you know it's at the end of the day, are you going to play this whole you know game? When we go back to negotiating, are you going to play this whole game like an investor, or are you also going to play it with your best foot forward like an end but user? But I do think that the agent, their responsibility, in my opinion. Every agent works differently. I do think that the buyer looks to me as, okay, Phil, I love the apartment. Now, is it a good deal? Please run some numbers for me. That's sort of the add value. That's how I add value. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a double edge. It it becomes one of many components. Price per square foot, comps in the building, everything else we've seen that we decided not to proceed. Mm -hmm. And what does this give you that that didn't from an emotional hook plus. But I mean, if someone was in love with an apartment in love with it, I'm just telling you, I would, it's my obligation. If I felt like it was overpriced, I have steered people. I've told them, I said, I know you love this. I just want you to know that this is 20% higher and it's probably going to be on the market for a while. You know, whatever it is, like that's, that's just my fiduciary. I I completely agree with you. However, like I said, there's more than, there should be more than just that one element in the overall equation of it's too high, too low, you're, you're totally market, right. whatever. Right. But yeah. price of script, it helps you do that. That's my yes. point. Yes, but I also think that. that this is individuals grasping on their own, trying to to monetize the access to all the data and trying to make sense of it and interpret it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Instead I work in the development, as I know you you do and you do. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, if I see 25 buyers, you know, throughout my building in, in on a Sunday afternoon, 23 and a half will ask the first question. What's the square footage? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and to Phil's point and to Vince's point, it's one of the <clears> first, um, you know, markers that you use when you're first entering the process of searching for homes to say, Hey, what, what is, what's out there? And so rightly so, I mean, it, it's, it's important, but then as you get more and more intimate with the inventory and you start seeing everything, it starts, you start putting everything in perspective mm-hmm. and there's so much more going on. <clears throat> All right, we're going to take a break. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. On the other side of the break, we have a very interesting conversation. Let's Ooh. let's thrive in business and be as successful as we can in 2018. We'll be right back. I didn't hit it that hard. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. 
It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. And as I said, at the top of the show, we are a real estate show, but occasionally we branch out and bring in important lifestyle stories and messages. This is a message of courage and hope, and I was moved by it when I was listening and reading it. Uh, I'd like to share it with you uh, with a very special guest here today. Dane Johnson is an international model, an entrepreneur, and a man who seemed to have it all until Crohn's disease nearly took his life seven years ago. After graduating college, he started modeling and quickly became a successful international model. It was then his symptoms started. He continued to be in great shape and work towards being his best self as a model, which contributed greatly to his accomplishments. He started having symptoms for a few years that became increasingly worse. At first, he tried to deal with them on his own until it became evident that something was gravely wrong. Dane was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, which almost left him dead as he plunged from 180 pounds to 120. Oh, my God. At this point, he was taking what seemed to be every drug imaginable, but to no avail. All too often, we are not grateful for our own health until it's failing. Dane now travels the world pursuing his dreams and wants to show you how to do the same. He is an avid philanthropist, motivational speaker, fitness enthusiast, and a can-do-all American. His background includes acting, as we said, hosting, public speaking, marketing sales, and life coaching. So, he says, let's start the new year, right? Getting your health in check. Good Mm -hmm. morning. Thank you, Vince. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. You too. Um, So I was I was especially moved by the story. You know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you get older, you you start you know coming into people you know your age or or younger or even older who get sick and -hmm. and things start happening. But a young man like you, I was very uh, very interested. Your journey has been amazing. I've read and listened to your story, and I believe it's so powerful that I wanted you to bring it to the listeners, my listeners around the world. We are a real estate show, but you know there is nothing better than human interest. You turned a corner in a significant way. Tell us your story. 
Yeah, it was it was a long road, and I think it was the catalyst to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. And when I was young, I was so infixated with the currency of finances. How can I create wealth, and how can I compound the interest of being young and, and knowing these things and reading every Tony Robbins book imaginable, right? Mm-hmm. But um, as I got sick, I realized that the currency of energy was the true currency, and that could empower mm-hmm. me to not only find uh, you know wealth in a variety of ways. So... You know, for anyone out there who might be struggling with health, um, you, you know, it, it can be the best thing that ever happened to you if you're able to take that right turn at the fork in the road and um, start realizing that your body or, or the universe is speaking to you in a certain way. And that's a generic term. I know a lot of people, you know, we, none of us deserve this. None of us ask for this. Uh, really, the only thing we can do is is respond with solutions instead of letting it, you know, overwhelm us. So you, you got sick at 19 and you, you, you mm-hmm. sort of was diagnosed at 23. So take us to that point and when you really realized that you were turning that corner or that you needed to empower yourself to make changes to get better. Yeah. Because uh, conventional medication wasn't working, correct? Yeah, absolutely. When I was 19, I got my first symptoms. And then by the time I was 27, I was nearly dead, 120 pounds, wheelchair, feeding tube, chemotherapy. And at the same time, I had become, uh, like you said, it, I'd become a model, which for me, I was more of a businessman turned model. I wasn't a model when I was young. I was just a young man who saw an opportunity to create cash flows in a short amount of times, right? <laughs> um, of course. And, and travel the world. So for me, it was more of a blessing. And, and when I... What was the difference when I got sick and, and uh, how I turned that to- uh, corner as I was put into a corner where I had no other options? Mm. When, you're, when you're a young person or even an older person and you go to a doctor and the doctors say you have to live on these drugs for the rest of your life, you're going to need these surgeries. And at, even at that, it's not really much we can do besides that. So they're really at the end of the day just saying they're trying to uh, reduce symptoms and help you live life. But... Uh, for many people out there, it just doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, then it's one surgery after another. And, um, you know, that's where I got where I had this huge uh, fortunate life where I had quit my job. I was uh, reselling Oracle software to the DOD. No modeling experience. Quit. Took a one-way flight to L.A. with no one out there. Didn't know anyone. And luckily met some uh, agents and so forth. And I started booking and working all over. And then about three or four months later, um, the ulcerative colitis I was originally diagnosed with, then later Crohn's, flared in a major way. And I started becoming chronically sick for about four or five years through most of my 20s. So I was working as with this huge blessing in life. And then I was extremely sick at the same time. So the, the big turning point was after years of being in a lot of pain, and not money not working, family not being able to help me, no doctor at Mayo Clinic, UCA, Cedar Sinai was not able to help me, that I I became so fed up that I, I knew I had to take it into my own hands. And I think that is a very good characteristic of anyone who wants success as they define it. So when you become self-empowered, when you decide that I'm going to make take action and you know success isn't always just... Um, getting everything perfect is being willing to fail. You know, if you're not willing to fail, you've already failed, right? Absolutely. So at that point, I just said, I'm willing to fail. I don't care about my Friday nights. I don't care about my ego. I don't care if I have to lose a few extra pounds. I don't care if I have to change my diet. I don't care if I have to spend money on these herbs or investments. I don't care if I have to do a, a, a voodoo dance around a doll every night. I don't care. I was at that point. So I got home from a job one day and I had just flown back from Ohio and really, it went terrible. And I said, what can I do that I know can help? Okay, I can start journaling. 
So I took out a machete, a uh, paper machete, cut it up, pinned it together, called it 40 Days and 40 Nights after a funny movie I saw back in the uh, <laughs> 90s. I don't know if you saw that, but I was like, these are my 40 days and my 40 I nights. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to eat anything I don't make. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to do anything if it doesn't have to do with my health. My health was my number one priority. And I had a girlfriend at the time who would say, yeah, let's go out. And I would have to like argue with her that it was my bedtime <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to bed don't try to stop me you can come if you want she's not your I'm girlfriend anymore is she <laughs> no, no but like she was man. she was actually very much a, a huge huge part of my healing and um, but so that was the catalyst as I took it in my hands I said what can I do and you have this huge mess of things and much in life like how do I learn all this how do I decide if I go left or right who's right what diet right what piece of real estate what you know there's so much and the only way you can start finding out what works for you is to start getting new experiences you know analyzation only goes so far experiences are what change how you feel so I started, I said that my goal every day was to have new experiences. So I journaled everything I ate. I journaled everything I did. I started praying and doing purpose because it could only help. I would wake up, use aromatherapies, open the windows, sit in the sunshine, started gardening. And I started reading insatiably about four hours a day, I'd say. But I was so addicted to the reading because I was reading potential answers that everyone and every doctor said wasn't there. So for me, I was looking at it like, hey, Mr. Whitecoat, look, what, look what this says. You know, you're saying that you don't agree with it, but it's an option, right? It's a risk. So my symptoms started going down and down and down. And for me, at that point, I was just a personal trainer, you know, with a college degree. I didn't have any natural medicine background. So I started getting symptom uh, uh, reductions and I started gaining weight. My energy was going up. And uh, that was the first time I really realized that I could take my health into my own hands. And I became... Uh, passionate about natural medicine, which is a, uh, you know, in a broader term, self-empowerment. So I went back to school for natural medicine and eventually uh, I had two major bouts. The second one nearly killed me. But when um, the second time, you know, I, I ended up having to be housebound for a year and that's where I created my, my shield program, which was really about taking all this information out there and making it for me, not trying to find the program, but find my program build my program. And you're out there, I mean, anyone out there, I'm sure there's a thousand real estate uh, books or uh, diet books are going to say it's paleo, it's vegan. Mm-hmm. No, it's the low FODMAP. Mm-hmm. No, and it's raw vegan. It's fruitarian, you know? Who knows? But what if there were nuggets from each specific one that you could take and just build into your own program? And how do you simplify that? Because greatness is really about simplifying something that's hard. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, Dane, let me ask you something, because this is a quote that, uh, that you said. There's mm-hmm. this idea of health where people think that if I can run this far or I have this type of body, mm-hmm. uh, then I'm healthy and, and I don't need to do anything uh, because I feel good. Yeah. Um, but how true is that? Because obviously, yeah. you know, health issues can happen mm-hmm. anywhere. Then you say age is relative to how long your life is and that makes a good uh, per- that makes for a good personal journey if you want to live a long and healthy life and expand that lifespan invest now invest mm-hmm. now in your health Amen. and invest in your yeah your being yeah there there um you know there is no better time than the now right and i there's two there's one huge issue i have with the fitness industry and i'm not you know mr um someone's mr olympian here but i've been in men's fitness i've been in men's health i've been around the industry i've been you know enough to see what's going on and i ask i ask everyone out there is this the health 
and fitness industry or is it the health or fitness industry? Because we're sacrificing our health for our fitness. Mm-hmm. We're sacrificing our health to get a little bit leaner, a little bit more muscular, to be able to run a mile a little quicker, to be that do that much more CrossFit intensity and, and deadlift 450 pounds. Why? You're sacrificing your health. Health is about optimizing ATP energy and growing within you and our egos are in our way. My ego is still in my way. I still struggle with this. Every guy wants to go in, pump up and, you know, do a little weightlifting, but maybe we need to do more yoga. Maybe we need to do more Pilates. What is ATP just for the people out there? Oh, ATP is adrenal trisphosphate. So okay. adrenal trisphosphate is the type of energy that your mitochondria create. So for everyone out there who wants to simplify this, if I said, hey, do as many push-ups as you can. You did 50 push-ups and you said, Dane, I cannot do one more push-up. I said, breathe. Take 10 seconds and do two more push-ups. You could probably do two more. That's ATP energy. Your body creates that in your body weight every single day. Mm. So your ability to create more ATP energy is based on how healthy you are or fight um, off disease or have mental capacity. Out of curiosity, did you find that your cortisol levels, because of stress-induced cortisol levels, Mm -hmm. was an impact when you were in the height of your disease? Hugely. And And, I was also And then how does one lower that? One sleep, I know. Because I have yeah. massive cortisol Cortisol issues. levels. <laughs> hormones are one of the harder things. Hormones are something that just kind of needs consistency to calm down. They're like firecrackers. Welcome to 55. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah it's kind of like firecrackers with hormones. But um, cortisol can be even worse for people who are struggling with disease because they're put on synthetic steroids. So mm-hmm. it's prednisone with the synthetic cortisol. Yeah. So uh, from there, you know, alkalizing your diet, getting consistent sleep, uh, eating things that can help produce natural cholesterol because most mm-hmm. hormones are made from cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use nourishing herbs. At that point, I think herbal therapy is really great. Mm. Ashwagandha, astragalus root, um, things like this can be really helpful for getting the body. But I, you know, also engaging the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your light switch. So we all have light switches. Like when you guys want to go out and say, I got a goal this quarter. I got to hit my numbers. You can get that performance, but you're putting yourself in a sympathetic state to do it. You know, just like you're running from a line. I can run from that line if I need to run a mile. But I'm going to be hurting afterwards. You know how your hips feel when you kind of sprint the next day? You're like, dear God, what did I just do to myself? Mm-hmm. Um, so that sympathetic state um, turns off your digestive system, turns off your reproductive system, and turns off your immune system. Mm-hmm. So in my, my opinion, I think that people are literally saying to the universe that they don't want to be going on. You know, I think evolution's way of uh, weeding out the weak is looking at the sympathetic state. Ian, we have a few minutes left. Um, sure. So I, I want to ask you, so through this whole process, what is the best thing you've learned through this journey from the very beginning to where you are today? Obviously, you look completely fit, very mm-hmm. healthy. Mm-hmm. What have you learned uh, throughout this journey? Um, I would say, take this with a grain of salt, but um, be your own best doctor, which is just saying, not be your only doctor, but be feel confident in what you know. No I one knows how you feel. You have a gut instinct. If you, if I put two apples in front of you and you looked at both of them, smelled both of them, and, 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 and took a bite of each, you would know which one is healthier for you. You already know portion control naturally. Maybe you're emotionally upset in a way. and But you really, I think people need to come back to just knowing what they know. A lot of stuff we're saying in books or writing online is kind of obvious to the human just gut instinct. So uh, you can be responsible and you can be... Uh, you already know a lot of your answers and maybe meditation could be a way to calm down so you can hear it. How does social media help you through your journey? Do you use it a lot? Is it getting your message out more than you thought? 
It does. I get I get a, a lot of messages, and I I consult people. I specialize in Crohn's and colitis. So um, you specialize in what? Uh, Crohn's disease and ulcerative mm-hmm. colitis. So I help people create natural healing programs around that. It's called Crohn's Colitis Lifestyle dot com, and I work with people all around the world. I've worked with an eight year old uh, girl to a sixty five year old man with Crohn's colitis. I've helped people avoid surgeries, get off drugs. Uh, we've done extremely well, but it's based on simplifying um, an idea and, and giving people structure and hope, you know, that there's something else and, you know, simplifying all that information out there. So, mm. um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's really about taking something that's somewhat difficult, just like what you guys do. You guys take something that's difficult and you try to simplify it for people out there so they can make a, um, a, you know, Good educated choice. answer. Did you know? you, have you found that that you have been back in touch with these doctors that said no, no, can't help you? Mayo Clinic, for example, or in a, in a, um yes and no because the doctors it were kind of at we're not at odds we're just a little separated mm-hmm. the natural medicine convention and what I would love to see is for natural medicine convention medicine to come together. Mm. Conventional medicine saved my life. I'd be dead without it right now. Zero chance of being alive. But I wouldn't be in the healthy state I am without natural medicine. All right, we have to wrap it up. I'm sorry we're out of time. That's it for us today. Dane Johnson, thank you so much for being here. Very moving story. You will be back to tell us the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to my panel. Until next time, be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 